The title of our study this morning is Here and Now, and I do intend for it to be more of a study and less of a sermon. You say, you know, what's the difference? I don't really know, Um, but I feel like this is more of a teaching opportunity. This is something that I would prepare if I was going to teach in a chapel, but it's all based off the Word of God, and I hope that that'll be an encouragement to you. But as you know, we are right there, like today is the day. (coughs) You may have yourself or someone that you know, and they've already told you they are so ready to change their entire lives in one night. They're ready to say, when that midnight strikes, I'm going to start going to bed earlier. Well, you stayed up till midnight, (laughs) you know, like not really setting yourself up for success. But there's a lot of people that are ready to just in one emotional decision, they are fully prepared to live a whole different life. And I can understand that. You know, I I understand the desire to want to do better. But I think there's a little bit of danger in living that way. And the scripture talks about it, and we're going to get to that later on in the message. But we do have New Year's Eve tonight. We have a service here tonight where we're going to go through and read different prayers of thankfulness in the Bible, because I really believe that thankfulness is the key to serving the Lord properly. If you're thankful for what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, that's going to produce love. And that's the best place to serve, is from a position of love. And it's also good to know that thankfulness helps cure bitterness. If you're suffering from bitterness, just stop thinking about yourself and your problems and all the things that are unfair happening to you, and think about what has already happened. Amen? Amen. And we can really, really be uh, pressed into a hard spot when we realize all that's been given to us just in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We can really be pressed to go, "Mm, my life is still bad. There are things, yes, that are happening to us that are not good, but that doesn't mean that God is not good. Amen? But it's all about perspective. If we're not thankful people, then it's very easy to become the idol of our own lives. But what we're going to talk about today is focusing on the here and now. And I've got three main points for you. I'm going to give them all to you now. So if you're writing notes, write these down. The first point is Christians are laborers in the body of Christ. First point, Christians are laborers in the body of Christ. The second thing from there that we'll talk about is Christians should consider God in their daily lives. Christians should consider God in their daily lives. And the last point is, for the new year, remember these things each day. For the new year, remember these things each day. So let's explore this first point here. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have a church loaned Bible or an old Schofield reference Bible, it's on page 1214. Christians are laborers in the body of Christ. We're going to be looking at 15 verses here. Don't worry, we'll we'll go at a good pace. But we're going to be looking at these 15 verses because so many times, verses 12 through 15 are the focus of this passage. (coughs) And it gets to the point where we forget that there's an address in the beginning. By the way, if you want to be a good Bible student, if you're reading a difficult passage, just zoom out a little bit. Go about six verses back and try to see, is there anything that helps me understand these tough verses? And if it's still unclear, zoom back a whole chapter. Start from that chapter and read all the way through. And if it still does not make sense, I don't say this to be humorous, read the book from verse 1, chapter 1. Because a lot of times, God in, the, in, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge 
lays out details that are going to become more clear once we understand the beginning of the book. For example, this book, 1 Corinthians, has an application to us. I want you to imagine like this is a medicine and we're sick. We're, we're, we're suffering from a symptom of sin. This book is like medication. It's taking care of the body to solve certain problems within us. The direct interpretation of this book was not for you and me. It was written to the church at Corinth and later all of the saints who were scattered abroad, which would include you and me. But there are specific problems in here that were unique to the church in Corinth. The application of those things is we look at what God said to those people, what was the problem, what was the proposed solution, and is there any result? And we look at that and say, if I have X problem, I can put this solution to it and expect this result. That's studying the Bible. No doubt, many of you, if you use the most downloaded Bible app in the world, the Uversion Bible app, no doubt you'll get a notification, maybe this morning you already got it or later on this afternoon, that says, start the year off reading the Bible. And you can get through the whole Bible in 365 days. That's very good. But I want you to think of this saying. It's not enough that you went through the Bible. The Bible needs to go through you. That becomes, what's the difference there? Well, if we're reading for completion, then you've done it. You've completed it. A lot of people are going to start off Monday morning tomorrow, which is a perfect day for New Year's, isn't it? There's no excuses now. Well, the first is on a Wednesday. You can't start on a Wednesday. No, 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 no. It's on a Monday now, so let's go. You know, <laughs> A lot of people, they'll get up and they'll read Genesis 1 through 3. And you know what? They did the same thing last year. And they go in the beginning and they go, Ugh. But they, they do it. They get through it, and then they do seven days, and they do eight days. But now they're just kind of reading for completion. What, what's the difference? How should we read our Bible? Just to complete it? No, no, you should read for comprehension. And in order to comprehend what you're reading, you have to be able to answer questions that come up. So if you're going to be reading something, and you're going to have questions come up, you should probably have something to write with and something to write on. Now you're studying the Word of God. Now you're taking observations, and some things won't make sense. I'll be very direct with you. There are some things in the Scripture on the surface level, if you're just reading one chapter, they don't make sense. But that's why there's a whole book. The more you get to doing that, you'll start to find, and maybe this is just me, that the little chunk of reading that was assigned for you that day is not enough. You want to read more. You get to Genesis 3, and you're like, what happens after that, what ha I can't wait until tomorrow. I got good news for you. You don't have to wait. You can continue to read and take notes and write things and observations and pray over those things. But as we're getting into this idea of the here and now, we have to understand that there is a time where God, as our Heavenly Father, will reward us for the work that we do here. The work is building the church. That's the work. How do we build the church? We put a new roof on the church, which we're going to do. Isn't that exciting? No, that's not building the church. That's building where the church meets. If the church is people, how do we build the church? You win people to Christ. The gospel is at the center of everything. We are supposed to be workers for the Lord, master builders in, in, in one way or another. We take these opportunities and we use different materials to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. However, 
The reason why Paul even mentioned this in chapter 12 through 15 about the judgment seat of Christ, which all of us will be at if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for, the, for your sins and was buried and rose again, you're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to have to give an account, not for your sin, but for your profitability. And your wife will not be with you. You won't go under your dad's household. You won't go under the Calvary Community Church group. Jesus is not going to go, okay, all of those members at Calvary, come on up. And then I take the brunt of everything. You're going to stand alone there and give an account. I remember when we were going through some court battles with uh, Remy, and there was, a, there was a time where I had to go down to the court there by Anna Maria Island, and I had to stand in front of the judge, and I had to give an account. And my lawyer told me, do not do this, stick to this, do not elaborate, you give a record of truth. If you come in there emotional and you're trying to deflect, they're going to pick that up. And I remember for 20 minutes, I was on the stand giving an account of all of the details that happened in a span of four days from when Remy was born to when we signed the paperwork for placement. And I had to be, there there was nobody there. My lawyer, she was looking at me from her bench and she did not say, okay, Jesse, say this. The, The judge has asked the question, you say this. I had to be prepared and I had to give an account. I I kid you not, as I was standing there, I thought to myself, this will be like the judgment seat of Christ, except the judge did not die for my sins, amen? It's going to be a lot more emotional. I don't mean there's going to be weeping and all of that. What I mean is I'm going to be looking at the person who gave me life. That's motivation, folks, for now. I'm not waiting until tomorrow to start serving the Lord because I don't know if tomorrow's coming. I'm going to do it right now, today, because I will stand before him. And if you know things about the Bible and Jesus' body, the nail marks will be in his hands for all of eternity. That is significant. These are the, the, the marks of what brings about everything that we will enjoy in heaven. How can we even be there as sinners separated from God? Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? That is the gas in the tank. You don't do it because, well, you know what? I'm going to show my wife. I'm going to be the greatest man of God ever. I'm going to do so much good. I'm going to show my employer that I'm not a dirty, rotten scumbag. I'm going to do everything so that people can see I'm really somebody. Hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. You're not going to walk into the judgment seat of Christ and there's your spouse. Show me. You're not going to walk into the judgment seat of Christ and there's your boss. Welcome back. Some of y'all, that would not be heaven, you know what I'm saying? But you go, what? You're my judge? We do these things for the Lord. And you realize the quality of your work will be so much better when you serve the Lord. Why? Because he's perfect. He's all good. He's righteous. He has nothing but goodness within him. There is not one sliver of darkness within God. He's not going to lie to you. He's not going to be... Y'all know that Geico commercial. It's so old now. But the guy walks into a bait and tackle shop and there's an old man in the corner with his fishing pole and he's dangling a dollar. And he walks over to get the dollar and the old man's like, oh, oh, you got to be quicker than that. That's not how God dangles opportunity. Oh, Warren, come on. Bye, you fool. That's not how it works. He wants us to be faithful. And there's so many reasons why we should be faithful. 
taken from the first thing that we've been given eternal life by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But there was a problem in Corinth. Because in the here and now, verse 1 says something about them. Look at what this says. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babies in Christ. We got babies in the nursery, okay? I'm not leaving the babies alone because they're babies. I just went in there uh, to get some water in the hallway, and I saw Tracy coming out, you know, and she closed the door, and I heard my daughter go, <laughs> she just went off. I could hear it. I was like, I got to close that door because it's going to get worse. But as soon as, soon as Remy, something happens that she doesn't want, it is, she's mastered it, folks. And I didn't teach her. Although my wife would say, you know, I'm, I'm the second baby in the house. But Kyla didn't teach her. She knows that naturally. But babies need supervision. They need silly things that we, you know, we would call them silly. Why? Because they're babies. They're not adults yet. We're not going to go home later and say, all right, Remy, you want some food? There's the microwave. There's the refrigerator. Get it done, you know? Even with her little sippy cup, I have to move that little thing back to get the straw going. And then she, she does it. Now, she'll grow, and she'll be able to do that on her own. But right now, she needs all the supervision that she needs. That was the Christians in Corinth. They're full-grown adults. But spiritually, they're babies. They're not growing as they should. Verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Why? Because they're, they're new in the Lord. You're not going to lead somebody to Christ and then go into the details of the hypostatic union. You're not going to lead somebody to Christ and then go into the details of, I don't know, justification without explaining terminology. You're going to slowly introduce things and teach people as the need comes up. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. That's why he didn't give them greater doctrine because they needed the basics Neither yet now are ye able. So here's the problem. When you first got saved, that's natural. Okay, you need to grow with milk, just like we do with young children. But now, here you are, many months removed, where you should be eating solid food, eating more of the Word of God. You're still only able to take milk. Okay, that's a problem. What is that called? The Scripture says it right here in verse 3. And may I say this very confidently? Know 1 Corinthians 3, 3. Know it. Know where it is. Know what it says. Because it clearly teaches that there is carnality in the believer. There are some who teach there is no carnal Christian. You would have none of the New Testament if that was true. Do you realize that? Why would there need to be an educational letter to Corinth if they were never carnal? But... That's logic. I just gave you logic, but let me give you scripture. Look at verse 3. For ye are, right now, present tense, that's what they are, yet carnal, for whereas there, and so mark this here, whereas there is among you, number one, envying, number two, and strife, number two, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So you've got these three parts of the equation. What's the three parts? Envying, strife, divisions, you can add a second one, which was be, or you can add a fourth one, which was before it, not understanding doctrine, staying on the milk stuff, that all equals what? You are a carnal believer, and you walk as a lost man. Now, guess what? You, if we were to clone my, me today, right? And you had somebody standing right next to me that looked just like me, but they did not put their faith in Christ. 
We have the same amount of facial hair, the same um, lack of hair here, the same tie, the same shirt, the same suit, everything. We stand next to each other. We can fool anybody. You would look at, if I were to say, which one of these is the saved Jesse? You wouldn't be able to tell a difference. That clone could teach a message just like I did, but he hasn't trusted in Christ. The problem here is not the lack of physical evidence. One person has not been spiritually converted, the other person has. My point is the lost person can look and say and do all the things that a saved person can, but they're still lost. Now listen, the believer can look and say and do all the things that the lost man does, but he's saved because he's put his faith in Jesus Christ, but he's walking now as the lost man. That's what is being said here. Bada bing, bada boom, right there. Are ye not carnal and walk, may I have your attention, as men. This clone here that's not saved, he's not doing anything for God. He can't. This one over here who is saved, he can do things for God, but he's choosing to live like this one. What a shame. What a waste of opportunity. Look at verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, <coughs> excuse me, I am of Apollos, Paul concludes, are you not carnal? So what was the problem? They're saying, well, I got saved by Paul. Ooh, nice sticker for you. I got saved by Apollos. Oh, wow, doubly stickered for you. That's how they were viewing themselves. They were looking at Christianity as like a faction type thing. It was like, oh, look, I, I, I got saved by this person. I got saved by this person. Their carnality was hindering spiritual growth. Now, the next set of verses, five through nine, talk about how every Christian is responsible for their own work in response to God's instruction. Look at what this says. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? Are they the people that died on the cross to bring about eternal life? No, they're not. What are they? Well, the scripture says, but ministers by whom ye believed. So this is where you get Dr. Arnold and Dr. Lindstrom, Dr. Gilbert, myself. We are all vessels carrying the message. I watched a movie recently. I, I watched it back when it came out in 2017, and I was just like floored by the cinematography, was, and the acting was really good. And it was a, a, a movie called Silence, and it was about these two um, fathers in the Catholic Church back in the 1500s that went on a missionary trip to Japan to find another father who had converted away from Catholicism into the Japanese culture. Okay, long story short, one of the missionaries, he, he dies because he would not apostatize, and the other one ends up apostatizing. But the whole part of the film is there's, there's this crucial point where as the Catholic Church, these fathers were being worshipped as God. And that's the reason why I like that movie, because it's trying to show the frailty of man and the, you know, the inability to you know, stay faithful in the light of persecution and all that. I look at it totally different. That movie shows that a lot of what the Catholic Church is teaching is worshipping a man. Those people that the fathers were going to and trying to convert, every time that they were about to die for their faith by the hands of their country, they looked to those fathers to save them. And at the end of the film, one of the, the, the main guy who apostatized and became a Japanese monk, he said to the one father who said, they didn't die for nothing, they didn't die for nothing. 
He says, you're right, they didn't die for nothing. They died for you. And it's a hammer drop on the film because you get to realize that a lot of what these people were doing was to satisfy the needs of a man. That's not true Christianity. That is a point that is being made here. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? These men, when they suffered and died, didn't say, Paul, save me. They looked up. Think of Stephen, who gave a riveting message. Did he look around? Did he look for Paul? Guess what? He found Paul, and he was Saul, and he was collecting the coats of the men that were going to kill him. Did he look around for Philip, another deacon, to save him? He looked to God. It's a huge difference. That's what religion gets you. Religion gets you man-worshiping man. True Christianity, true union with God is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what, that's what Stephen said. And then they brutally killed that man. And what did he see? He saw Jesus at the right hand of God. That's, that's pretty powerful stuff. And you see that right here. But ministers, verse 5, by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I, Paul, have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. What does that mean? When you lead a person to Christ, you don't save them. You are carrying the message which saves. Amen? That's where it is, folks. Here's how this works. Oh, man, I'm really somebody. Man, I, I, I led 45 people the other day. I'm somebody. What does that do? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? They're just messengers carrying a message. God's the one that gives increase. Now, this doesn't mean that God makes the person believe, but he brings them to the point where they can believe because they have all of the facts presented to them. I'm glad that the, when, when Mr. Hernandez goes soul winning, he has the right frame of mind. Pride can get into people that go soul winning. I've seen it. They think they're somebody because, well, I saved them, and if it wasn't for me... Folks, if it wasn't for God, and if you have the idea of you're a great person in, in you know, this, this, you have this great talent and ability and people really need to get around you, you are at yet carnal. And that's going to hinder the here and now. I have planted, verse 6, Apollos waters, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Now people will look at this and say, see, we have... We have no value. No, we have value, but in Christ, that's where the value is. They were factioning themselves out, and he's saying, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. <coughs> Verse 8, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. How are they one? Because they're two individuals, but they're going for the same goal, which is conversion of the soul. Trying to bring people to the, to the place where they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And who has that power? The Holy Spirit. God does. He has that power. The person still has to choose to believe, but the moment that they believe, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells, and they're sealed until the day of redemption. Verse 8, Now that he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and now look at this, every man, singular, shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So, this is where I think a lot of people, they do the, you know, they do the 7-Eleven big gulp. They're like, whoop. And I'm going to say this without any kind of, I, I don't mean to offend. This is just, this is true. 
you are going to give an account. You cannot piggyback on the faith of more faithful men. I've seen this with the college. I've seen people come in and they get everything handed to them and they don't last. Do you know why that is? They're going on the faith of somebody else. Now, there's exceptions to that, but a large majority is you're, gonna, you're not going to go before the Lord and say, well, I went to Calvary Community Church. That's enough. No, no. What did you do? And we're talking about New Year's, folks. We're talking about New Year, New Me. This is some sobering stuff. Paul says very clearly, you all babies in Corinth, you're going to stand before God and give an account for your own work. It's not going to be enough to say, well, I was of Apollos. Great. What did you do with that? What did you do with that? What did you do with that? And if there's a heartbeat for a pastor, for a shepherd, it's to make his sheep profitable. It's to show the sheep, this is the good stuff. You got a little patch of green grass right here. There's a lot more over here. No, I like this grass. Okay. But we're all going to give our own account. Verse 9. Oh, excuse me. For we, I'm sorry. For we are laborers together with God. So now look, we go from the individual to the corporate as the church. We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, the fruit of it. And ye are God's building. This is why we say, you know, the physical building here is not the church. The you and I here in the Spirit, we are the church. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Now, why does Paul call himself, why does Paul call himself a wise master builder? Because he's the one that brought these people to faith in Christ. He's the one that brought the gospel to a place that had not yet heard it. That doesn't elevate him, but he's done a lot of missionary work. Continue on, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. So other strong Christians in the church build on what Paul laid, which is only in the power of God. Are you putting these Legos together? This is a very good example of how a church is supposed to be grown. I do not have the sole responsibility to grow the church. That is on you. It's my responsibility as well, but I'm not the only one that carries that responsibility. You go out and build the church. And if the time comes, we reach 350, 400 people here on a regular Sunday morning, then we get to the point of, we need to take a man, train him, and send him out to build the extension of Calvary Community Church, Calvary Community Church Site B. No, no. More of the body of Christ. More people. More people. I want you to change your mind from that. Church is not 4811 George Road. Church is my neighbor. Church is my... my if, 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 if you're married and you've got a spouse that's trusting the Lord, that's church. This is a part of the body of Christ. We start thinking differently about that. Now when you go out, you carry the testimony of the church. When we do new members class, I tell people all the time, the reason why we want you to live a life in, uh, uh, according to the Bible is because when you walk out of these doors, you represent... Not just Calvary Community Church, but you represent the Lord's body. Why would the Lord's body be doing the things that we put ourselves in? You know? I, it's always a joke with the Bible and bumper sticker. It's like, if you're a bad driver, 
you have road rage, keep the sticker off. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, YouTube at BibleLine.com? It hasn't happened yet. Well, I'm waiting for it. I honestly, I am, because I would totally put the comment up there. This guy cut me off of traffic yesterday with this sticker. Boy, that'd be something, you know? Like, can we get to make a model of that? No, I'm just kidding. But we don't just leave the church here and we say, oh, okay, I, I've done my obligation. You are going to be held accountable for the way you live your life outside of these, these walls here. Look at verse 10 now. Uh, excuse me, we already read verse 10, moving into 11. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is who? Jesse Martinez? Dr. Hank Lindstrom? No, no. Who? Jesus Christ. That's what we build on. Folks, I'm not asking you to stand up here with me. I'm trying to get you on the platform of Christ. You stand on him. You do this for him. You don't do it for me. I'm going to fail you. I'm not, and if I do a good job, it's poor compared to what Jesus can do for you. Now, you know these next parts, so we're going to move through these quickly, but it says here, now, if any man build their uh, build upon his foundation. What's that foundation? Christ. You build it on your salvation. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hand, stubble. You have two categories here of building materials. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hand, stubble. Verse 13, please mark this, every man's work, not his body. Catholics try to use this as a proof of purgatory. It's not. The man's body is spared from this testing. It's his work that is tested. Every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to be there. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by what? So it's going to be tested in fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, if you have this in your mind, if you're heating gold, silver, and precious stone up to high degree, you're smelting that. You're burning off the layer of impurities. Go look at that on YouTube. There's some guy out in California. He's a real cool, chill guy. Uh, I don't recommend everything that he does, but he took an old TV screen and he calls it the death ray. And he'll put rocks and geodes and all sorts of stuff on a little piece of thermal thing. And he'll get the sun to do, get all of its ray just put right on there. And it just, it melts rock like that quickly. Okay, did the rock disappear into ash? No, actually, when he cools it off, now he can round it, shape it. It's a beautiful piece of jewelry now. It's something valuable, very nice to look at. But he puts a can of Coke in there, and under, oh, wow. And that's how he sounds. He's like, that's rad. And it's like, all right, dude. That's cool, I get you. But what if you were to put a piece of paper there? It's going to burn up into ash and blow away. So these are the building materials that you have. Things that are going to become, they're going to come out refined. That's profitable work. How did you build the church? How were you to bringing people to faith in Christ? What did you do for the Lord? That'll be profitable. What did you do for self? What, did, what opportunities did you not take advantage of? Wood, hay, and stubble. 14, if any man's work abide, which means remain which he hath built thereupon, and what will abide out of our six building materials, the gold, silver, and precious stone? He shall receive a reward. Now people say it's not good to serve God for a reward. Well, then you should look at this verse. <laughs> That's how God intends it to be. We don't do it for greed. We do it to give back to him. 
It's not out of this idea of I'll be somebody. We just saw that addressed. It's because of what Jesus did for us. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall, shall, uh, excuse me, shall suffer what? Loss of salvation is what people would say. Now, here's, if you want to be a good Bible student, you test that. You say, if it's a loss of salvation, does anything else in the verse indicate something that would contradict that? Let's continue. He himself shall be saved. So this is important. Every time in the Bible when you see the word saved, it doesn't mean saved into eternal life. <coughs> it can mean physical deliverance, whatever it may be. Here, it's a physical deliverance that is built on the eternal deliverance because the person is saved. They're coming into that judgment, a child of God. What will they be saved from? The fire that consumed their works. And you say, well, I don't really know this interpretation. Well, continue on. Yet, so as, by what? Fire. It's so clear. It's so clear the believer's body, his salvation is not on trial here. His profitability is on trial. Now I want you to go to James chapter 4 and verse 13. <coughs> Don't worry. I got some recola up here, you know. I learned from last time, man. Woo. Now bear with me. I am going to use it. So if you hear some clickety-clacking, that's just my good old teeth. And I apologize. Kyla's not in here today, so I told her afterwards, I was like, how nervous were you? She was like, very, very. I chew gum like I'm announcing it. You know, it's like, oh, that guy has gum. Which guy? That guy a mile away. <laughs> so we've moved on from our first point to our second point. Christians should consider God in their lives. Okay, so let's say you're here today. You're convicted. You say, yes, I... I need to work for the Lord. I need to take advantage of the opportunity that I have. Okay, that's good. Learn from this lesson we're going to see here in James 4. Starting in verse 13. Uh, excuse me, not verse 13. Is it verse 13? Oh, that's chapter 3. Hang on, there it is. Verse 13, James 4, 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Okay, now, he's given you an example of somebody who possesses the mindset of complete control of their life. Now, you would say, wait a second, that's a good thing. You want to be in control of your life. Let's say you, you know, you're abusing substances. Okay, you're out of control of your life. You're allowing the substance to control your life. Well, let's say you get sober. You start walking with a clear mind. Oh, that's good to have control of your life. Yes... But as a child of God, God is the one who sets the plan. The illustration here is, when it says, go to now, okay, in that first phrase, he's saying, listen up, those of you who say this. We're going to go and do this. We're going to go and sell this much and get this much. And, and everything's going to be great. We're going to control it all. Verse 14 tells you about that mindset. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Ooh, 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 ding, ding, ding. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't. The only thing I have an idea of what will happen tomorrow is it will be January 1st, 2024. I almost said 2023. <laughs> but outside of that, I don't know. Folks, I got plans tomorrow at 7.30 to be somewhere. That may not happen. God may have a different plan. 
What's the issue that's being addressed here? People that think they are in control of their own lives and destiny. This is a very American idea. It's a very American idea. Now, I love the freedoms we have in this country. This country, regardless of all of its shortcomings in the past several years, it's still a great country. But let me tell you something, folks. There is a danger in this idea of you control your own destiny. You become God in that situation. And a child of God can live a life that they want to live outside of God's will. What does James say? Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? Now he's a great teacher. So he's going to compare our life to, a, to an inanimate object. What's the object? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You ever seen smoke? Maybe, you know, you blow up like these candles here. You blow out this candle. There'll be some smoke for a moment. But you would be unwise to try and bottle that up. You know, you like get a little Ziploc bag and you try to zip it up and you see all that smoke. That smoke is going to go out the smallest hole in that bag. You can't hold on to it. That's the comparison of people that think they can control their lives here. It's a very small amount of time. It's like a wisp of vapor. It's here today, gone today. And the idea of, okay, I'm going to get right with God. Today's December 31st. Tomorrow, January 1st, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. You never open your Bible. You never learn to pray. You're never faithful in church. You never learn how to lead people to Christ. You can do a bunch of stuff that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Why? Because you're the one that set the standard. So what's the change? Let God set the tone and standard. Do you know what that requires? The hardest thing for people to do. Submit. Yield. That requires an attitude of humility. If you're walking around thinking you're somebody, don't be surprised when you deny God because you're somebody. Folks, I have a very healthy view of myself. I am useless outside of my Savior. So the way that I prepare for the message today, the message for tonight, the way that I told God years ago I would lead as a husband and as a father is I would let him lead. I'm not trying to control all these things in this life because I'm not in control of them. I'm going to trust the one who is, amen? It's a great place to be. And there'd be many people outside of that frame of mind that would say he's a weak man. That's okay. You don't judge me. God is the one that's going to judge me. Now, you've seen that misused. People getting tattoos that say, no regrets. You know? <laughs> Only God can judge me. Yes, that's true. Tell me more about that, you know? But their ideas of kind of like, you know, I'm going to do what I want, and it's my life. Folks, when I was 12 years old and I put my trust in Jesus Christ, I died that day. And I was born again into new life. I didn't live in that new life until I started coming to college. And I started looking at the need. And I started looking at the God who loves me so much and gave his son for me. And I started to ask the question, what else could I do with this life than live for him? If I'm going to be with him for eternity, what's the amount of time that I have here? I wasted a lot of years. But studying God's word has brought me to a better understanding. And people praying for me. You know, there are so many people that are praying for me and are praying for you. There are people here today who are going through cancer diagnosis. We're praying for you. I just told them. 
You are not alone. You know how comforting that is? We pray for one another. We are not looking to cut, you know, cut the head off of one another. Oh, yeah, I finally got it over brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. That ain't going to work, folks. That's a sick church. That's a sick body. It's the very definition of cancer. The body is, is attacking itself. Why would we want the Lord's body to be that way? But James continues in verse 15, and he says this, For what ye ought to say is this, if the Lord will. Now, this is not a cliche. You don't just add this to everything that you say and say, oh, I'm good. No, that, that's, it's the way that you think. And if it's, and if, if it's a product of what you think and it's what you say, then God knows it's real. But I know a lot of people that kind of just use phrases flippantly. And I know people who really do mean it. My father-in-law is a good example of that. We're going to go build a fence the next day or something, and he says, if the Lord wills. And I know he means what he says. But I can also see other people just using that and saying, I'm a little more spiritual now. I said it. It's not just saying the truth. What's going on in here? What's the intent? He says, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. It's not bad to make plans. It's not, it's not bad, but to do that without God, you're not going to win. And here's the sad thing, folks. You come to the judgment seat of Christ and you find out you did a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. So this is the danger. If you look at this advice and you say, I'm going to still do what I want, and you boast in that, look at what this says. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good... And doeth it not, to him it is sin. You now have the burden of knowledge, folks. You know what the Bible says. God's going to hold you accountable to it. I want you to go to uh, Psalms 146. Ooh, Old Testament. Psalm 146. It's a good example here of trying to live, you know, if, if the life of a man is temporary in the scope of eternity, then any efforts to control it of himself is like grasping at, at smoke. Look at what this says, 146, uh, verses 3 through 5. Put not your trust in princes. What's a prince? Well, that's someone in governmental authority, royalty. We don't trust the government. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that. There's a lot of people that are trusting the government, though. Oh, if we just get another president, it'll be better. Will it? I told you, folks, I'm going to make that bumper sticker that says, Jesus Christ, 2020, question mark. You know, maybe I'll do 2020 and then a three. Because maybe it's, you know, coming that soon. Who knows? Put not your trust in princes, okay, nor in the Son of Man. What does that mean? Does that mean the Son of Man? Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Not, not the title here. This is in, in humans, in, in human beings, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth. We just saw this yesterday. You got up early, saw that breath, and we're, I got to get it back. It's gone, folks. His breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. The day a man dies, all that his thoughts die with him. All, his, all the things that he thought, the things that he desired, 
I, did, I went to a man's memorial service on Friday. And that man is with the Lord. No matter what intentions he may have had, he was a very detailed man. And he had people give the gospel. And he did all that he could. You know the wisest thing I thought he did, though? I'm going to brag on Mr. Anderson here, Brian Anderson. He recorded a voice memo for his funeral. And you might say, that's so conceited. No, no, because he wanted to make sure people know exactly where I am. You know how many people were at that funeral from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office that probably heard Brian talk about the gospel but never believed? You know how many people were there, a part of his QP3 business and training company that probably knew he was a Christian, heard the gospel but didn't believe? Then they hear on this man's death, on the day of his funeral, he speaks with confidence and authority of the scripture that although he is not here, he is with the Lord. And the best thing for you to do is to put your trust in that same Lord whose name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's a wise man. But Mr. Anderson is in the earth. His body and all his intentions died with him. Isn't it good to know that by the power of God, he is alive? Happy is he, verse 5, that hath the God of Jacob for his help. It just said in verse 3, there is no help in the government in man. There's only help in the big G, God, of Abraham, of Jacob. Amen? Who thought I'll get you going? I don't know, folks. Might need to do some, you know, jumping jacks. I'm not going to do that on this stage. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the all capital L-O-R-D, Lord, his God. Amen? That's how we should view our lives. Look in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Let me tell you too, Proverbs is a very good uh, book to read through. You can do it in a month. 30 days or 31 days, there's 31 chapters, read a proverb a day. And take notes. Once you get into chapters 10 through 20-something, it's all pretty much corollary statements. One of a wise man, one of a fool. There's some great stuff there. Write them down, memorize them, it's good. But Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Now remember what we just read in James 4. Those of you who say we're going to go to this city, we're going to buy and sell and get this gain, and you don't include God in it, you rejoice in that. All that boasting is evil. To him that knoweth to do good, but doeth not, to him it is sin. So how do we change our mind? I'm trusting in the Lord. He's going to determine my path. And it doesn't mean you sit on the couch at home and you say, Lord God, move me. <laughs> Honey, what are you doing? I'm waiting for God. He already gave the instruction. Start reading your Bible and doing the things that it says. You say, Pastor, why don't you tell me? I do tell you. <laughs> I try every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night to teach you what the Lord is teaching me through His Word. But look at what it says in verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. This is a guarantee. If in everything that you do, you put Him at the center, He will direct your path. You're going to come to find there are people that come into your life for the sole purpose of hearing the gospel message. The next time you get a flat tire, think that way. You might be able to change it for yourself, but see if someone will help you. And then give them the gospel. Great opportunity. 
Now, I'm, I, was, I can change a tire now, okay? But 10 years ago, I couldn't. And I remember I led this guy to Christ right outside of a gas station. And I'm really thankful because he got eternal life, and I got a, my spare tire put on. And I rode that thing until I blew the head gasket on that same car because I didn't change it all for 13 months. You want to know what my head sounds like sometimes? It's hard. My dad was like, you didn't do what for how long? I gave you that car. Oh, boy. Anyway, now I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6. This is where we're going to close. Oh, this is a good lesson here in Matthew chapter 6. Really good stuff from our, from our Savior, the Master Teacher, Jesus Christ. And if you were taking notes, this last point is titled, For the New Year, Remember These Things Daily. Okay? How long is a year? 365, 364 days. Whatever it is, leap year or not. Listen, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and the whole day is going to last a year. <laughs> Think about that. It's going to last 24 hours. Then you've got January 2nd. And then, Lord willing, you'll have January 3rd. You want to live a life, many years put together. You want to live that well for the Lord. Take care of the here and now. You say, well, how do I do that? Allow Jesus to give us some insight here. First of all, look in verses 30 through 32 of Matthew chapter 6. <coughs> Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, think of a beautiful field, a healthy field. That's, that is God's design, folks. which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait a second. I was just thinking of this beautiful field, and now it's cast into the oven. What's the illustration? Temporary. Temporary. Shall not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If God will take care of the fields, which give the right soil which enable the right crops to grow, which bring about food, which meets our need for hunger, if he'll take care of the field, why do we have such little faith that he won't take care of us today? You know, I think of, I think of a brother that's here today. I think of Ernie. I'm looking right at him. He knows exactly what I'm going to talk about too. This man knew about us, came to Calvary Community Church. He had a need. He needed employment. And we prayed for Ernie, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and he kept showing up. And sometimes he'd give prayer requests, and they'd be short because he's moved to tears. He's waiting for God to meet his need. Along comes Trent. Ernie, I hear you need work. Well, what about this opportunity I have at the company that I work at? And it took a long time, but he's employed now. And the, the, the joy is not, he got a job. The joy is God met that man's need. And there are many of you here today, the same thing. I think of our sister Janine, who's gone through cancer, no cancer, cancer, no cancer, and now she has a cancer again. Do we look and say, well, God's not taking care of her? No, we get around our sister in Christ and we say, the Lord will deliver you. We have to trust that he will. And that's a beautiful place to be. To me, it's the only place I want to be, trusting the Lord. Continue on here. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or 
wherewithal shall we be clothed? We don't have to worry about these things. They're superficial. They're temporary for the time. It doesn't mean you walk out of your house with no clothes on. But what that means is you don't stress about the material needs here. God will provide it for you. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Why did Jesus say the Gentiles here? Because he's talking to Jews. They're looking for material things the Gentiles are, and that's what a lot of people think their status is. Look at my clothes. Look at my, you know, uh, the, the, this is all my uh, uh, accumulated wealth. What's that? Uh, your net worth. Hey, great, folks. You die. You're going to go to God and say, I was worth this much money. Okay, come on in. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. So what's the first thing to remember on a daily basis for a successful new year and a successful life in Christ? Look up here, please. You have a God who loves you. Second thing is we have the kingdom. Now I hear this a lot. Oh, I'm building for the kingdom. I'm building for the kingdom. I kind of cringe at that because it is true, but that, that doctrine has been hijacked by a lot of weird stuff in the Jehovah's Witness group. But it is true. Pay attention to me now. We do have the kingdom of God. How do we have that? Because we're saved. That's where we'll be. If you're trying to build all the success that you can here, folks, you're not taking that into the kingdom. The only thing you're taking into the kingdom is your eternal life and your profitability here, what Jesus rewarded you with. That's all that matters. Remember that when you are stressing for the temporary, when you are stressing for the material, when you're allowing that to govern and dictate your life, remember you have something beyond this. Look at what it says in verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And the last thing in closing before I share the most important news of this whole year is this last verse. Look at what this says. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What does this mean? You have today. You have today. Don't say, tomorrow I will. Say, I'll do it now. You can close your Bibles. I pray this has been an encouragement to you. Some of you, you may be here today and you said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a New Year's kind of person. I'm thinking next year, next year, next year, I'll do it. <coughs> no, no. What are you going to do today? If you were to die today as a child of God, you stand before God, and you stand before Jesus Christ and give an account you're going to have refined rewards or you're going to have something that's blowed away. I cannot determine that for you. But as your pastor, I'm going to do the very best that I can to be an example and to prepare for you. But you're going to give an answer for yourself. There may be a second type of person here today who does not know that they'll even be in heaven when they die. There's a lot of people that are at churches, not here at Calvary, who have been going to church for longer than you've been alive, 
and they will not go to heaven when they die. And you say, how could that be? They're in church. Good works, starting something, stopping something, turning from sin, those do not bring about eternal life. Otherwise, Jesus would not have had to shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. The only thing that brings about eternal life, the only thing that brings about the new birth, as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, is your belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross to pay for your sins. That's how simple salvation is. There's nothing we could do to earn it. There's nothing we could do to work for it. That's why Jesus did what he did. And if you're here today and you want to have assurance that you're going to heaven when you die, don't trust the words of this pastor. Look at what the Bible says. And I'm going to show you that now. If this hand represents you and me, I'm going to let this block of sin represent our sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done wrong. We can all admit that. And this sin, it separates us from God because we have to be perfect to get to heaven. We have sin. So many people think, 0101-24, they can say, I'm perfect now. If you could maintain a life of no sin from 0101-24 until the day of your death, you still had to pay for all the sin on 12, 31, 23, and backdate all that. This, that sin has to be paid. We're born into sin. This is who we are. God, he loves us, and he wants this sin to be paid. But there's a lot of people who think, I can pay for this with my own good deeds. If I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I live a good life, if I give enough money, then I'll be saved. Those are all good things. They're not good in the eyes of God. Do you know why? Because they can't pay for sin. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. If we were to die with this sin not paid, we spend an eternity separated from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. But here we are. We have a problem. God, remember I told you, He loves us. How did He demonstrate that love? Romans 5.8 tells us, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Now, Christ, you may think, is Jesus' last name. It's not. That's his title. He is the anointed one. Jesus, I'll let this hand represent him. He came into the world, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross of Calvary to pay for our sins, not to show us how to get in. Not to show us the pattern of works we have to do to get into heaven. He did the work for us because we could never do it ourselves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, anybody, the best of us, the worst of us, we all fail. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does it mean to believe? Oh, that's a question that really, really miffs people's mind. What does it mean to believe? To put your trust in the stated or implied truth that Jesus said, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how you can know you're going to heaven when you die. You're thinking about ending this year on a good note. If you're here today and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in yourself, in your church, in the religion of your family, then I want you to change your mind and put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
who died on that cross, was buried and rose again. He shed his blood to pay for your sin. Would you pray with me, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you, if I described you, you say, Pastor, I walked in today not knowing that I would be in heaven when I died. I was trusting in myself, my own pattern of good works. I'm not as bad as the worst of people, so surely there's a place for me in heaven. But I see that perfection is required. And today I put my trust in the Son of God, whose name is Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried and rose again. I believe he did that to pay for my sin. Friend, if that's you this morning, I'd like to pray for you. The Bible says that you're saved now. You don't have to keep doing that to get saved. You only have to do it once because what God does lasts forever. And he gives us everlasting life the moment we believe. But if, if, if that's you, say, Pastor, I trusted Christ today. Would you pray for me? I will. I will pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and let me know? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know. And I would like to pray for you. No one's going to tap you on the shoulder or have you walk down. I just want to be able to pray for you. Anyone else before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. I'm going to assume, and I hope safely, that everybody here is a child of God. Have you forgotten that you'll stand before our Lord Jesus Christ and give an account? Your sin has already been paid. You'll be reminded of that, as, a, as will I, when I see the nail marks in his hands. But what did I do? What did I do with this life that was so wondrously given to me? I want to encourage you to live for the Lord. It's a good time of year to think about this because it is a new year and there's a lot of things around that. But folks, you've got today. Can you be a good spouse today? Can you be a good husband or a good wife, a good mom or dad? Can you be a good brother or sister in Christ? Can you pray with somebody today? Can you share the gospel with a lost person? Can you pray for strength? Can you open your Bible? Don't commit to a year. Use today. And trust the Lord in all things. As your pastor, I am for you. And the love that I have for you is great. But God loves you so much more. Please do not forget that. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here today. I pray, Lord, that we can be a church that is healthy, not just in the number of people that are here, but in the quality and content of the people that are here. I pray for those today that are going through difficulties as we all are. I pray we can find peace in your very nature. Above all things, Lord, we ask that you return today and if it's not today, then give us the strength to do what you're asking us to do. In the wonderful, precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen.